What a great time to be a Giant, be a fan of the Giants. Like we have something going here. We're building something special, and you know you can see it from the outside and inside. It's even more beautiful. Reflecting on everything that got me here, just to see that uniform, and you know I, I watched. That's the team I watched the most growing up. Cause my dad was a Giants fan. So once a Giant, always a Giant. For me, it's only a Giant. Welcome everybody to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by NorthJersey.com and The Record. I am your host, Art Stapleton, and we've been on a little bit of a hiatus waiting for the Giants to finalize their defensive coordinator position, and I promised you that the moment they did, we would be back in action, and we are back. Shane Bowen from the Tennessee Titans is the new defensive coordinator of the Giants, replacing Wink Martindale, and I went all in trying to get you as much insight as I could. We'll talk numbers here in the open about Shane Bowen, who he is, and what his defenses look like. But beyond the numbers, I went to two guys who know what it's like to follow the Titans. They've been in the middle of a coaching search as well down there in Tennessee. The apple of some Giants fans' eyes, Denard Wilson, Ravens defensive backs coach, is now the head coach that they will cover, but Teron Davenport of ESPN and Nick Suss of the Tennessean, both of whom cover the Titans, they offered different perspectives. I brought one to bring them both on. So it's Tuesday morning and I talked to both of them within the last half hour. You will get those interviews on today's show in a second. I think they gave you great insight and gave me great insight in terms of who Shane Bowen is, what his defenses look like, and what they feel about his presence in New York, New Jersey, and with the Giants. So off the top, let's talk about the search itself. And I know there's a lot of feeling, the idea that, well, the Giants didn't get their first choice, Denard Wilson, and they didn't get their second choice because Bobby Babich went back to Buffalo. And who knows if their third choice was even out there, if it was Brandon Daly of Kansas City because they can't hire him officially until after the Super Bowl. So now they just settled with Shane Bowen. I'm here to tell you that you can have that opinion. I can't tell you that's the case. I talked to people inside the organization yesterday who kind of laughed at the insinuation and really the assumption that the Giants uh, were struggling to fill the defensive coordinator spot left open by the exit of Wink Martindale and everything that's happened over the last four weeks or so. Uh, What I will tell you is that The interview process, in part, was affected by the new NFL rules that the only coaches that were involved in the playoffs that could interview before the divisional round were from the Ravens and from the 49ers, teams that were on a bye. And that is why, more than anything else, that Denard Wilson got that first interview. He was allowed to be interviewed then. And if the Giants did not interview him, then they would not be able to interview him a second time when coordinator interviews were allowed the day before the 
divisional round before that game. So that's what took place as far as the interview structure. Now, does that mean that the Giants didn't love Denard Wilson? No, I can't tell you that. I do know that he was viewed by a lot of people outside the organization as the front runner for the job. He was a hot name, a hot candidate, did a good job in Philly and did a good job in Baltimore this year. Does that make him the clear-cut best defensive coordinator on the board? No. Bobby Babich, there was always an opportunity that Buffalo was going to claim him as defensive coordinator. Heck, when he started interviewing and was set up to interview with the Giants, I had people in Buffalo tell me, I can't believe that they're allowing Babich to hit the market. Why don't they just hire Babich to be the defensive coordinator? You know, there's that divide between Sean McDermott, who is a defensive coordinator by heart. Now he's the head coach. Do they need a defensive coordinator in Buffalo? They had one when Leslie Frazier was there. Leslie Frazier takes the year off. They did not hire a defensive coordinator this year. So McDermott called the plays. He was involved in the defense. That's how Babich ends up in Buffalo. But a lot of this stuff is conjecture. When you hear about, well, this is what people think around the league. It's not necessarily the full picture of what's going on. And the Giants are very secretive compared to what they've been in the past. The regime of Joe Shane and Brian Dable, they don't really play favorites in the media. And that's the reality of it. You can get information. You can gain insight if you build relationships still within the organization. But you're not seeing things thrown out there. Case in point. I know there are people who believe, well, the beat writers just don't have a clue because how do they not mention Shane Bowen going all along? I mentioned Shane Bowen early on, but these crumbs are not being sprinkled all out. This is not for a lack of trying, not for a lack of reporting. Where does the information come from? Well, let me tell you exactly how this happens. I know this is a little inside football, but I feel like I need to get it out there. And for the faithful listeners of this show and people who follow my coverage, I want you to know this is how it happens, okay? Brian Dable and Joe Shane decide Shane Bowen will be the defensive coordinator. They offer the job to Shane Bowen. He accepts. The timeline now before and after the Giants will now reach out to other candidates and let them know this is the direction they're going. They are no longer in the mix. So how do national reporters get this story first? Well, I can only speak to the Giants, okay? That information is not traveling from the Giants to reporters as quickly as it is to the representation, the coaches themselves, to reporters from other teams as well. So let's just say case in point, the Giants reach out to a defensive coordinator candidate that they interviewed and let them know they're not in the mix. It's more likely that that defensive coordinator candidate through his representation is telling other reporters he didn't get the Giants job. And then 
it's, well, this is what we feel about the Giants, and it sounds like the Giants are this, and we're not really sure if Dable's a lame duck. We've seen that the last couple weeks. The reality is that news travels to national reporters before it does to beat writers. It's not an excuse. It's just the reality. And it's on me to work that angle to make sure that I do get that call. I do get that text first. So when you see texts or tweets that come two minutes later or three minutes later, sometimes you're just unlucky. Sometimes the way that thing happens. So that's why you see a lot of confirmations rather than breaking news from beat writers. Just as something for you to consider. It's not an excuse, but that's the reality of the situation is that there are a lot of people out there league-wide who don't view beat writers the same way as you do national reporters. Why would you? The audience is much larger. But I can promise you I am working just as hard, if not harder, with my giant sources and sources league-wide to make sure that you get that news and you get that coverage the way it needs to be. So that's where we're at with that. Shane Bowen is the new defensive coordinator. And let me give you some stuff on Shane Bowen that I've learned through my research and I think you'll appreciate. Number one, Shane Bowen and Mike Vrabel, I mean, he's a Vrabel guy. They were together in Houston. When Vrabel got the job in Tennessee, Bowen came to Tennessee. At 33 years old, Bowen was the outside linebackers coach. Dean Pease, a legendary coach in this league, really kind of from the same ilk as a Wink Martindale or the Ryan brothers. That's where Pease left Tennessee. And in 2020, Bowen called the defensive plays for Mike Vrabel, even though he wasn't a defensive coordinator at 33 years old. And then ultimately the next year he became the defensive coordinator and he's been the defensive coordinator ever since. Now, you'll hear from Tehran and from Nick in terms of their feelings as to how things went in Tennessee. But to me, I told you from the beginning, whether it's in my coverage, tweeting, whatever, that to me, the priority was making sure that this staff on defense stayed intact. Andre Patterson is, if not the best defensive line coach in the league, top three. Okay. They needed him to come back. They valued him. Jerome Henderson, one of the best secondary coaches in the league. He was up for the defensive coordinator job. Didn't get it. But the relationship between Brian Dable and Jerome Henderson goes way back. They spent time in Cleveland together. They were with each other in the, with the Jets. I don't believe that this is a situation where Jerome is now going to be upset that Dable didn't give him the job. Again, without talking to Jerome, it's just what I've heard through my reporting with the Giants. My understanding is that the defensive coaches that are on under contract will be back under Shane Bowen. Does that mean that Shane Bowen won't hire a couple other pieces? The offensive linebackers coach, which is obviously his bread and butter. He coached offensive linebacker, uh, offensive linebackers, outside linebackers. So I would imagine that's going to have a Tennessee feel. Maybe somebody who was on the Tennessee staff last year will end up being with Bowen and 
the Giants moving forward. Now, you know, let's talk numbers, okay? Everybody looks at the Titans' defense and says, boy, you know, Bowen isn't going to blitz a lot like Wink Martindale. Nobody blitzes like Wink. But as you'll hear in my interviews with Teron and, and Nick, they blitzed in Tennessee. They didn't blitz as often as Wink. Nobody does. But this defense is still built on pressure. It's built on stopping the run. Things that are just make for solid units in the NFL. You're going to have a base 3-4 defense. You may see multiple packages. Maybe not as multiple as Wink had. But the personnel kind of fits in there. Let's talk numbers, okay? Points allowed per game. The Giants were ranked 26th at 23.9 points per game. The Titans were 16th. Again, better. Edge, Tennessee. Yards per game allowed. The Giants were 27th. The Titans were 18th. Actually tied for 17th, I believe. Yards per rush allowed. Giants allowed 4.7 yards per rush. That's 31st in the league. The Titans allowed 3.8, which is 7th in the league. Blitzing, we know the Giants blitzed twice as much as Tennessee did. But the pressure rates were similar. That's something to be con- to consider. Um, I think when you talk about this staff and where Brian Dable's staff sits, uh, I think they were looking, they kind of pigeonholed themselves a little bit. They wanted a defensive coordinator to come in here to not be Wink Martindale, number one, and his personality and the problems. I think they learned from that. I would, at least I would hope Brian Dable learned from that. And he needs some evolution himself as a head coach, and I think he needs to find that and be a little bit, you know, invigorated by what's happened over the last couple of months. But I think also that they noticed that they had a strength here on defense. They have some really good coaches. Eggs at inside linebacker, John Rogwu. Uh, I think that's how he pronounced his name. I never even have to find it out because he goes by eggs. You know, I mentioned Henderson and Patterson. You know, but it's beyond that. Mike Trier is assistant defensive backs coach, also another good coach. Um, you know, I think, you know, you may see Mike Adams go from special teams, maybe have more of an influence on defense this year. Who knows? He may stay with special teams. We'll have to find out. But the bottom line is, I think we're talking about a Tennessee defense um, and they weren't as good as they had hoped last year, but I do think that they were better than what the Giants were. And it's all about perspective, right? They were middle of the pack. The Giants weren't even middle of the pack defensively. Yes, they had a heck of a run with takeaways. Takeaways are huge. Uh, but I think the Titans won't play as much man. But a big part of this, and I talk about it with Teron and Nick, we're not sure how Shane Bowen will evolve now as defensive coordinator outside of the umbrella of Mike Vrabel. And that's something to consider here. So that's my take on the whole stuff that everyone's been waiting for. And I want to get to the interviews because you deserve to hear them. So first up is... Teron Davenport from ESPN, and 
Then we're going to roll right into our interview with Nick Suss from the Tennessean. And we have some breaking news during the interview with Nick Suss. Uh, Tim Kelly, who was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee, is now the tight ends coach uh, because uh, Andy Bischoff left for the Chargers yesterday. But I'll talk about that after Nick's interview. So without further ado, let's go to Tehran and then Nick. All right, joining me now, Tehran Davenport from ESPN. And nobody knows the Titans better and for, for longer, really been a mainstay. So I wanted to bring him in and give you a sense of who Shane Bowen is. Teron, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, Art. I appreciate you having me. So tell me a little bit about, you know, Shane Bowen. It's funny, you know, that that news comes out early last night and all of a sudden everybody's running for numbers and statistics and want to talk about, you know, what the Titans have done defensively and how that compares to the Giants and, and all that stuff. What I like first and foremost is just insight into who Shane Bowen is. Uh, and, you know, I, I appreciate it from a beat writer perspective. So I think the fans do too. Tell me about Shane Bowen a little bit and, you know, how he fits in a defensive meeting room and how he kind of, you know, deals with his players. That to me is a, a big part of this that kind of gets, you know, glossed over when a guy gets hired. Yeah, no doubt. I'm glad you started with that because Shane Bowen is a guy that the players, they want to play for. And he really cut his teeth primarily at the outside linebacker position. It's something he played at Georgia Tech. That's what he did uh, in Houston. He, he helped out with them. And then when he got to the Titans, that's what he did as well. Uh, Dean Pease retired and Mike Vrabel made him the defensive coordinator. And that first year was a little rough. They had some, some issues, especially in red zone and third down. Um, they've always had issues in, in pass defense. But I think when you look at Shane Bowen and just the way he's able to be an instructor, I watched him just sit there with the, the outside backers and really show them how to use their hands and how to you know keep their chest plate clean and then be able to, to turn the corner and do all those things that are required to do as an edge rusher. I mean, you look at some of the guys, Harold Landry had an outstanding uh, couple years, uh, one of which, you know, uh, was one of the, the most sacks by a Titans uh, defensive player since 2015. So, you know, you have those things. Um, watching him interact with the players, like, it's very clear they respect him. It's very clear that they appreciate his ability to help them get better. And at the bottom bottom line, that's what players want, right? That's all they care about. Yeah, it's cool to be, you know, interested in my family and this, that, and the third, but how are you going to make me better? And that's a perspective that I know a lot of the Titans defensive players uh, felt good about when working with Shane Bowen. You know, it's interesting because Bowen, from me doing the research last night, just trying to, you know, you know what research is now. I mean, we make calls, we we text, but also, you know, the Google the Google machine, uh, you know, helps and you start reading stories. His journey going from, you know, just kind of brought on a, as the outside linebackers coach, but you mentioned, you know, Dean Pease's exit. Uh, what, you know, when he's tw 33 years old and, you know, Vrabel – reveals at the end of that season the idea that, you know, well, you know, Shane was calling the defense, even though I didn't make them the defensive coordinator. Uh, and just how that whole thing happened, was that a matter of just Shane taking on more and more responsibility as a younger coach? And, um, you know, how did that play out and how did really that factor into his 
ascension on, on that defense. Yeah, he was calling the plays, and it was something that just kind of uh, morphed as the, the year went on. And that's a testament to Mike Vrabel, though, because we were on them heavy for a lot of the defensive shortcomings. I mean, this team was like historically bad in, in third down uh, situations. Uh, the pass defense was terrible. Uh, there was a lot of things going on with that team. And Mike Rabel was taking all the bullets, taking all the shots. And those shots would have been directed to Shane Bowen hmm. because he was the Thing, the guy that the fingers were pointed would have been pointed to, you know, as a defensive coordinator, but Vrabel absorbed it. So that's kind of what happened there. Um, Shane Bowen was by title named the defensive coordinator the following year, and, and they showed improvement. And uh, that, that team, you know, although they had the shortcomings against the pass, they've consistently been one of the best against the run. That's something that they pride themselves on. So you do have that. And then you look at last year. I mean, they were number one in, or, or a close second to Atlanta in, in red zone defensive scoring percentage. So there's some good things with Shane Bowen's defenses for sure. What do they do? Uh, I mean, I know th- those red zone numbers jumped off the the page last night when I started seeing it. Do they? Is it something schematically? Is it? Is it kind of a, an emphasis as to what they're doing? Why do you think they've had so much success in the red zone? Yeah, you know, honestly, it's one of those deals where the field is shortened. Uh, one thing, um, they had a lot of issues with giving up explosive plays, and that's something that just continued to happen over and over and over and over and over and over again. So <laughs> when you have the field condensed, it's a lot easier to defend that short area uh, in the red zone. But then also a lot of timely blitzes. I think you look at uh, the way that they will blitz Elijah Molden, number 24, uh, out of the nickel position and even Roger McCreary. And sometimes, you know, when they had Kevin Byard in there, who's now with the Eagles, yep. you know, they were sending him on the safety blitz. So you have those situations. And it's just, like I said, the, the red zone, but more specifically the low red zone, right? I mean, they had a, a goal line stand, the one-yard line against the Jaguars, and that kind of sealed the deal in, in the season finale. And I remember a good – at least seven times where teams were inside the five-yard line and they couldn't score touchdowns because that's how stout that defense was. Wow. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the blitz and knowing the Giants with Wink Martindale the last two years – blitzing more than any other team in the NFL. We know Wink with blitzes. It's it's become legendary. You know, it's funny. People look at the numbers from Shane Bowens' defense in Tennessee and compare it to that, and now Giants fans, and we kind of react overall, well, the Giants will never blitz. I get the sense that Bowens still has blitz packages in the mix. It's just not to the level of Wink Martindale. Is that fair to say? That's absolutely fair. I don't know many defenses that blitz to the level of Wink Martindale. And to be honest with you, I love that. That's why I was hoping that he came here to the Titans so I could watch the team be ultra, ultra aggressive on the defensive side of things. But, yeah, I mean, Shane Bowen, the blitz, it's not going to be abundant, but it's going to be at the right time. And uh, those are the things that, that you have to look at 
when you look beneath those numbers, okay, when they do blitz, how effective was it? And I would venture to say that it would be a, a high level, a high rate of effectiveness because there's a lot of times where I remember them, you know, sending whoever it may be and, and getting a timely tackle for a loss to reset the, the down, so to speak, right? They go from a, a second and five to a, a third and long, you know, and that's the, the type of situation you want to be in as a defense. When you mentioned earlier the the pass defense and the, you know historically been a, a you know a sore spot for the for this you know franchise, uh, how much of that was personnel? How much of that was schematic? I mean, it, from your opinion, I mean, I don't expect you to break down numbers and spit them out for me, but uh, you know when you hear that, but then you hear a team is so good against the run, it, is it just a matter of the way they wanted to build things and the way Vrabel and uh, the front office, whether it was Robinson or at least Carthon last year, wanting to build this defense? Yeah, it was the strength of the defense was the front four. That's really how it's always been. And even the front seven, you know, you mix in David Long Jr. and then last year Aziz Alshire, who set a franchise record for tackles. It's always been a strength there. Now, Kevin Byard has been a solid safety, but age is, is undefeated, you know, and it's yeah. hard to catch up with him. And a lot of it at the cornerback position, you know, I would say personnel and scheme. The one thing that always irked me, and I don't, I still have not been able to unearth whether or not it was the coaching staff, specifically Mike Vrabel or Shane Bowen or Chris Harris, the DB coach, or the players, because I've gotten mixed answers. But for whatever reason, off coverage was something that happened all the time. And as a receiver, if you can get that free release, no chatter at the line of scrimmage, and get right into your route. It's you're living, you're living a good life when you could do that. So. Uh, there was very little jamming at the line of scrimmage or trying to redirect and, and disrupt the timing, so that hurt the passing game. But then also, a lot of times, you know, the double moves especially would get these corners over and over again. And then you have the miscommunications between the safety and the corner, and that could lead to uh, a big play. You look at the Browns game, Amari Cooper had a huge touchdown on the miscommunication. So those are all things, and it's just, okay, I will admit there are some times where the DBs weren't in position to make good plays, you know, like a, a second and, and, and seven and you're playing nine yards off the ball. That's not putting a guy in position to make plays. But there's other times where they are in position to make plays. You have that, that man coverage on the outside and the opportunity to shut a receiver down, but the double move gets them. So it's a combo of both. Gotcha. Uh, I've heard this, you know, within the last 12 hours, the idea of, well, you know, it was Mike Vrabel's defense that even though Shane Bowen was calling the plays, Vrabel had his fingerprints all over this defense, which you would expect. Look, Mike Vrabel is a good coach, regardless of how, you know, his exit went down in Tennessee and the fact that he's still on the market is still mind boggling to me. I don't know if, if you feel the same way, but um, how much responsibility that Bowen take, but also is there a feeling now, and I, I said this last night, that maybe Shane Bowen comes here and spreads his wings a little bit. Maybe the defense looks a little bit different, you know, things that maybe Mike Vrabel didn't want to do that now Bowen comes here with, you know, some different influences on this coaching staff. And maybe, maybe Bowen says, you know what, look, I want to do this. I, I know we have to get better. Here are my ideas on how to get better. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm curious how the secondary play will be 
because I know I've had conversations with Mike Vrabel, and I know a, a part of them playing off did come from him. So I wonder if Shane Bowen being out from underneath that, that umbrella will change up. And, and as a good coach, you know, you always tweak things to your personnel. So you look at the, the secondary there, the corners, you know, I'm not sure if those are guys that, that you want to use in press coverage. So we'll, we'll see. But I do think the defense, it did have Mike Vrabel's fingerprints on it, but Shane Bowen had a good part of that, that, you know, installing the game plan and, getting things uh, uh, developed and all of that, I know that for a fact. So it wasn't just Ravens offense, it was, or excuse me, defense. Uh, Bowen had a big part of that. Last thing, everybody, another thing that we do nowadays is run to the roster and look at free agents and all of a sudden say, well, this guy's coming here, so he might bring this guy, this guy, and this guy. A name that jumped out was Sean Murphy Bunting. I'm just curious what you think. I mean, obviously now with Denard Wilson coming in there, uh, you would think he'd want as many pieces in the secondary as possible. But uh, with with Murphy Bunting, the way he played in this system, is he kind of a, a guy who you think if Bowen wanted to make a play for, that he can kind of translate from one team to the next? Yeah, I mean, Murphy Bunting, he, he played one year with Bowen. But, right. you know, in, in, in watching him, one of the things I love is the physicality that he brings. He's always willing to come up and tackle against the run. He likes to mix it up against the receivers. And that's somebody, I mean, Christian Fulton is another name that you could put out there if you're looking at secondary guys. Aziz Alshire is another one, right, the linebacker who, who like I said, had 150-plus tackles last year. So those are a few. I don't think there are any guys that I would just make that direct tie to. Oh, he's a free agent. He's going to go with Boeing to the Giants. I don't think there's any connection like that, to be honest with you, just to, to say automatic. But, I mean, Mur Murphy Bunning is somebody, but, again, he, he played one year in, in the scheme. He had an okay year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, if he's back with the Titans, to be honest with you. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, it's going to be interesting, the fact that Denard Wilson was viewed as a frontrunner up here with the Giants and lands in Tennessee. Now Bowen comes to the Giants. You guys got Tyke Tolbert, our guy, uh, down there now. Uh, and I know uh, – I, I think I saw Thomas McGahee was going to interview right down there uh, as special teams coordinator. T-Mac is also, uh, you know, one of our favorites up here, regardless of what's happened. Uh, you know, sometimes, guy, you know, positions run their course. So I, w I wish you well. Thanks, Teron, for, uh, for joining me for a couple minutes, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be catching up, I'm sure. All right, for sure. I appreciate it. Thank you. And joining me now from the Tennessean, Nick Suss. And boy, the Giants and Titans have been linked a lot this offseason, as we've already spoken about. But just the idea of, you know, it seems like we're playing, you know, coaching switch here in Tennessee and and New Jersey. Nick, thanks for joining me. And, uh, you know, what, what else is new? Another coaching search uh, in the NFL and names just flying all over the place the last month or so. Yeah, no, it's been a it's been a busy one, and man, had the Titans gone with Kafka, I think it would have just been a full staff trade at a certain point. But yeah, look, it's it's a fun year for the NFL. I think a lot of the names that have been hired in various places were kind of the ones that we didn't necessarily see coming. And yeah, I mean, you guys, the Giants are getting a lot of people that we're super familiar with down here in Tennessee, and I think there's a lot. Uh,
let's get to uh, to Shane Bowen and from you know yeah. from your perspective, you know it's funny uh, you know we hit last night the story hits the the news hits that that Bowen is joining the Giants and you know all of a sudden we go into research mode you know you're googling and trying to read as many stories as possible and a couple of things popped up from last week which I was kind of surprised trying to figure it out now I don't know if it was just podcast generated fan generated or if there was actually some legitimacy to it but there was th- this idea floated out there that maybe Brian Callahan would bring Bowen back, and this was at some point last week, that was before Denard Wilson obviously got the defensive coordinator's job. Was there a feeling, just from from the perspective of Bowen, um, that maybe there was some part that, that the team didn't want to see him go as defensive coordinator? How did that play out in, in your eyes and your reporting? Yeah, I think there was always a possibility. I think that it was one of those things that there was a possibility of, and then as you alluded to, the fans or the podcasters or people kind of took it and run with it and it kind of snowballed but I mean look the the Titans were not struggling over these last 24 games or whatever uh, hellacious streak has been because the defense was coordinated poorly and I think people who understand the game probably understand that the Titans issues were a little bit deeper than oh we'll get rid of the defensive coordinator so I, I think that just from a logical and logistical perspective, the defensive players like Shane Bowen, the defensive scheme has worked, and continuity is usually a good thing when you can hold on to at least one vestige from the past to try and uh, reload or rebuild or whatever you want to describe it as. So I, I think that there was always a chance that when you have an offensive head coach coming in who's a first-time head coach who doesn't really have all too much experience building a defense, that it could make sense to keep the defense intact. Now, you go out, and Brian Callahan also said in his introductory presser that the type of defensive coordinator he wanted was somebody who had given him trouble in the past when he was an offensive coordinator, and so that almost certainly felt like they were going to go get somebody from Baltimore, given Cincinnati and Baltimore's history these last couple of years and the way that uh, Baltimore has been able to frustrate that Cincinnati offense. So I think that when they found a guy who fit that qualify qualification, rather, uh, Shane Bowen probably ended up being a less alluring option specifically for what Callahan wanted. But I don't think he would have been a bad option in Tennessee, and I certainly don't think he's a bad option in with the Giants either. Gotcha. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, obviously, we can dive into Bowen in, in a sec, but just the idea, what came up last week, because as you know, Denard Wilson interviewed twice with the Giants, and you know, because he got that second interview after the one that they got in the bye week, because the Ravens, you know, I think that's also as you and I are digging into coaching search the last month, you learn all about the new rules. I don't think there's an appreciation for what they were allowed to interview and who they weren't allowed to interview yeah. if they didn't do it early on. Uh, but Rand Carthon obviously interviewed here for the general manager job that went to Joe Shane two years ago, uh, and he impressed here. What I thought was interesting is uh, it seemed to go unnoticed uh, league-wide, but the fact that the team came out and the ownership came out and said that Rand Carthon was going to have I guess it was oversight of the coaching staff and full control of the roster, uh, making him an EVP. Um, how much influence did Carthon have? And do you think Denard Wilson, who's a guy who was very familiar with him when they worked together in the Rams, you know, 
a, a while, really, four or five years, I think it was. Because um, I, I made that argument to Giants fans who were like, well, he doesn't have any connect. Denard doesn't have any connection with Callahan either. But I, I thought that Carthon and Denard Wilson, really, that relationship may have played, you know, and really pushed it over the edge in Tennessee's favor. What What's... You know, what's been the feel around Carthon? I mean, it, has he really taken over as kind of the, the football kingpin in Tennessee? Yeah, yeah to a degree. I, I think that Callahan is making the choices. Like, I, I do think that Callahan is the person choosing the staff. But I think Rand has been involved in courtship and interviewing. Rand was one of the GMs who didn't make it down to the Senior Bowl last week, and you have to imagine that was because he was involved in, in the process of interviewing and interacting with scouts who were still in town and people who were still in town in Callahan, obviously. So I think that all of that, yeah, Rand's involved. And when Rand has relationships with people from his past, they tend to work out. If you look at the free agents the Titans signed last offseason, you had Arden Key, who he knew from San Francisco, and you had Aziz Alshair, who he knew from San Francisco, and you had Daniel Brunskill, who he knew from San Francisco, and <laughs> those connections have paid off, paid off for him in the past. So Denard Wilson being somebody that he has strong ties with from when they were starting out with the Rams. Yeah, I think that I think that that's a huge asset given that a lot of the moves he's made have been people he knew. Uh, that that's that's a strength of his and when it comes to the whole executive vice president divide versus football czar versus the Titans have a interesting setup. They promoted their assistant GM to president of football operations, and they promoted their GM to executive vice president, and people were debating about titles and nomenclature, but essentially what happened is Rand Carthon was given control of everything related to football, and Chad Brinker, the new president of football operations, seems to be given control of everything else. Gotcha. So when Rand can sit back and focus on the team side, the player side, the coaching side, making sure that that is evaluated to the best of its ability, yeah, I think he's going to be involved in major decisions like defensive coordinator for sure. Gotcha. Uh, so tell me about Shane Bowen a little bit. You know, you obviously mentioned that, you know, the – the players like him. The defense responds, uh, you know, to him. Uh, but you know, he's talking. You're talking about a young guy. I mean, it's kind of funny that you know, Giants fans and even even us in in the media covering the team focused on young, unproven defensive coordinators. You know, the idea of oh, Denard Wilson was a hot name, and Bobby Babich with the Bills was a hot name until he went back to Buffalo. I don't think people truly appreciate it until we started talking about it that that Shane Bowen is a young guy. I mean, he started calling plays at 33 with, with you know, Mike Vrabel in, in Tennessee. What's your feel on, on kind of the trajectory of where Bowen was? And, you know, now that he takes another opportunity here, um, you know, what are, what are your expectations for, for where he goes from here? Yeah, Bowen's a good coach. Right? He's definitely from that Vrabel model, which is all the assistants who've worked under Vrabel – the focus is very much on teaching, on fundamental, on making sure that the players know what to do at all times. And I think that comes through in the way they talk, in the way that they interact, in being a very hands-on type assistant coach. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen the videos of Rabel getting up and doing drills with his players. And I yeah. know if Shane is to that same degree, but they are 
coaches who are bred to say teach by example, teach physically, teach interactively, make sure that everybody knows what's happening. And I think that that has really aided Shane's trajectory. And the the Titans organization under Vrabel was very much an organization where promotions were earned from within, and they very rarely hired externally. So Shane Bowen was somebody who knew Vrabel from their time together in Houston and then came to Nashville. And then when there was a defensive coordinator opening, I want to say in year three, maybe year four, that they were together in Nashville. Shane got the promotion. He was a play caller the year before that, but I want to say he was still outside linebackers coach or inside linebackers coach while he was uh, calling plays for the first time. Um, And yeah, these last couple of years, we can talk scheme, we can talk about actually what happened, but the simple reality is the Titans were hit harder by injury than any other team in the NFL the last three years, and that really, really manifested itself in the secondary more than just about anywhere else. So if you look at the statistics, it's pretty easy to be underwhelmed by, well, they were 32nd against the pass in 2022, and in 2023, they obviously went 6-11, and and there were times where they struggled to rush the passer consistently, and there were times where they struggled to defend the pass consistently, then you look around and see who was actually on the field. And man, they were playing. There were times where there were two undrafted free agents playing outside corner at the same time. Wow. Like they, uh, they had issues of depth, issues of personnel, and you can blame that on whatever you want to blame that on. But they, uh, they were a team that set the NFL record for most players used in a season in 2021 and finished with the number one seed in the AFC that year. And then they come back the next year and lead the NFL again in players used, and they only go 7-10 and 10 that year. And last year, I can't remember if they were first or second or third, but they were up near the top of the league again in players used, and they went 6-11. and 11. And it's tough to sustain a high level of success when you are churning through players week after week after week after week, especially on defense. But, I mean, if you look at the success stories, if you look at the players that kind of worked out despite um, being part of the churn, you start to paint a more impressive picture of what Shane Bowen did. It's funny, you're preaching to the choir as far as the Giants are concerned because uh, if the Titans were one, the Giants were pretty damn close to the top as far as players lost to injury, not just for the last couple of years, but certainly the last decade or so. It's been uh, one of the things that has plagued the franchise as they've kind of torpedoed themselves ever since uh, Super Bowl 46. But that's for another day. How about this? We'll finish up with this one. Got a, a little bit of breaking news as we're talking that the Giants are hiring a new tight ends coach, and it's someone that you are familiar with. So the back and forth between Tennessee and and the Giants continues. What can you tell me about Tim Kelly, who was the offensive coordinator uh, down there for the Titans, I guess just last year. I'm not sure if it was beyond that. But like I said, it's still coming through now that I just saw it on my phone. What's uh, what's your take on Tim Kelly? I know it's kind of hard read you know, a guy moving to a position coach, but, um, you know, what's he like? What, what should Giants fans expect from, uh, from him as a position coach? Yeah, Tim Kelly, Titans offensive coordinator last year, the year before that, he was their passing game coordinator, kind of one of the behind-the-scenes guys. And then I think he'd spent the four years, five years before that as the offensive coordinator in Houston. Another guy who is deceptively young uh, for somebody who has his <laughs> credentials. I think he is still 
maybe 36, 37, and I might be aging him a little bit. You can fact check me on that while I'm pacing on the phone. But <laughs> he's he's a guy who, if you look at his best offenses, whether it's in Houston or, or last year in Tennessee, he tends to be able to get a good bit from his quarterbacks. Hmm. Um, he's always tended to have a pretty good plan in the red zone. Uh, that wasn't the case the first eight or nine weeks of this season, but I think it stabilized toward the second half of the year, and he usually uh, had a big hand in designing the red zone stuff the year before when he was one of the behind-the-scenes coordinators for the Titans. Um, he's come up through Bill O'Brien. He was with Bill O'Brien at Penn State and followed him to uh, Houston, uh, where he kind of went from quality control to position coach to quarterback coach to offensive coordinator and uh, met Brable in that cohort while they were in Houston together. So all part of that same ideology. And this is something I should have mentioned when we were talking about Bowen, but uh, Brian Dayball obviously has connection to that grander tree with – knowing O'Brien and Belichick and man, I think Dayball and Gerard Mayo are the only coaches from that tree left, which is weird to say, but yeah, Kelly's done a good job. I think that, yeah, I mean, he's, there's no way of knowing how good of a tight ends coach he's going to be and how important it is to have a tight ends coach. But I will tell you a lot of the time when we're out there at practice this year, Kelly was working with the tight ends and that's a position that he does have some knowledge of and, if your listeners are um, rememberers of some dudes, as they'll say on the internet, Dennis Kelly's his brother, uh, yeah. the offensive lineman who's kind of journeymaned around the NFL for the last decade or so. So they have some family connections across the league. Uh, yeah, just a, a coach who's going to show up, and I would not be surprised if he has some help in designing the offense because that's something he's kind of excelled or thrived or whatever you want to call it at to get to this point in his career. Very cool. Great stuff. Nick Suss, Tennessean, and uh, good luck with the rest of your coaching search. And I appreciate the few minutes and giving me insight as to, uh, I don't know if it's going to be called the New York Titans, or but that already existed already. Yeah, <laughs> and, those were around. Or the Tennessee Giants with uh, Tyke Tolbert and who knows if Thomas McGahee lands there. Mike Kafka lost out on the interview for the head coaching job. You know, it's uh, back and forth. And now we now the Giants have Ryan Cowden here. I mean, he ultimately, you know, was the the expected or anticipated assistant GM if Brandon Brown got the job at, with the Chargers. So a lot of stuff going on between Tennessee and New York. So uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch. And uh, thanks for a few minutes. Yeah, always happy to help, man. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. All right, my thanks again to Teron Davenport and Nick Suss for their insight. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Both of them, uh, Teron has covered the Titans for a while. Uh, Nick bounced onto the beat this past season. Uh, So I think you got a lot of perspective. And always happens, some breaking news as the the show is being recorded with Tim Kelly becoming the defense, uh, the tight ends coach uh, of the Giants, replacing Andy Bischoff. Now Bischoff left yesterday, and you know, look, I get it. the The perception has now become reality that Brian Dable is a tyrant, and no one wants to work with him, and uh, it's a toxic environment. I've seen thrown around. Um, 
if it's me carrying the water, as some of you have accused, and defending Dable and the Giants because I try to say that it's not exactly that, well, then so be it. Then that's on me and I can deal with that. But the reality is how it's been portrayed is not necessarily how it is inside the building. Uh, perception does matter to an extent, and I'm sure this coaching staff uh, and the coaching search looked a little differently. I'm sure there are people who bought into the idea that Dable's a lame duck and this program will be short-circuited after this year if they don't win. All valid. All valid concerns. Uh, I can't tell you that that's going to be the case. But look, if they fall flat on their face this year and things don't go the way they want, I can't predict what ownership's going to do. I mean, heck, you know, John Maron, Steve Tisch, before this year, had fired three previous head coaches either before the end of their second year with Ben McAdoo or Pat Shermer and Joe Judge at the end of their second years. So there is a question of patience and whether or not the Giants have that. Uh, this team has struggled uh, to get normalcy and stability in the front office. I believe they have that right now, but this front office is going to take shots. Joe Shane is going to absorb blows from retired slash fired front office people around the league who are now, you know, making a buck, putting opinions out there. Does their opinion matter? Depends on how you feel about their opinion and their experience. But that's all something that they have to deal with. You can't just brush it aside. My interpretation is that Brian Dable is not affected. Like I mentioned, I think he's almost invigorated by what's happened the last month or so. I think he's probably, if you got him in a quiet moment, he'd probably admit that, you know, he wishes that the things didn't happen with Wink Martindale or that they should have happened sooner. Uh, but that reality has happened, and it creates a lens now for the Giants that they're going to be viewed through. So anything Brian Dable does is going to be viewed through that lens. So you can't shake it. You know, case in point, yesterday, when Andy Bischoff takes the job and it's announced that he's going to the Chargers, ah, it's another coach that's leaving Brian Dable. From everything I get, I understand, Andy Bischoff and Greg Roman are very close from their days with the Ravens. When Greg Roman was the tight ends coach before he became offensive coordinator, Andy Bischoff was his position assistant. They are close. When Roman took the offensive coordinator's job with the Chargers, with Jim Harbaugh, he reached out to Andy Bischoff and basically said, look, we, we will give you a run game coordinator title in addition to becoming our tight ends coach. Three weeks ago, this was not on the horizon, from what I understand, with Andy Bischoff. But Andy Bischoff loved the idea of getting a, a run game coordinator title, reconnecting with Greg Roman, and the Giants ended up granting him permission to interview. And they knew by granting him permission that it was going to happen. So is that a, a mark against Brian Dable for allowing Andy Bischoff to go rejoin Greg Roman? I guess it really depends on your perspective. For me, I don't think this was a situation where Andy Bischoff was trying to get away from Brian Dable. Jeff Nixon worked with Brian Dable. He was a running backs coach. Jeff Nixon is now at Syracuse. Wants to be a head coach in college. Is the offensive coordinator at Syracuse. Good opportunity. Did he flee the Giants for that opportunity? 
without sitting down with Jeff Nixon, I can't tell you that's what he did. But it's not like these guys are leaving for entry-level positions. So, again, Wake Martindale, essentially fired, wanted to leave, resigned, however you want to say it. The Wilkins brothers, Drew and Kevin, fired. Thomas McGahee was fired. Nobody else on staff. Uh, Bobby Johnson, fired. Bobby Johnson was close with Brian Dable. And he is now out of a job. So, again, we play this game. We want to start looking at why guys are staying. Now, I want to talk about the Mike Kafka thing before we go. And I appreciate the supersized episode and you guys hanging in for everything. Uh, but Mike Kafka will be back as offensive coordinator, was up for the head coaching job in Seattle. There's this idea that all of a sudden the Giants are holding Mike Kafka hostage as offensive coordinator. And I've been questioned about why I said the Carolina Panthers were classless for allowing for not allowing their special teams coordinator at the time, uh, Tabor, to interview with the Giants and other teams when they had a fired head coach, but I defend the Giants because they hold Mike Kafka to his contract. Well, the head coach is here. He's not fired yet, and he's not going to be fired. There was no head coach in Carolina. So you don't want to prevent guys from seeking opportunities. I get why they do it. Chris Tabor is a good coach. Azir... Giro Evero is a good coach, the defensive coordinator in Carolina. You want to keep them under contract. You want to give your new head coach an opportunity to hire them. But there's always that fine line. And while Evero stayed, Tabor got fired. And if Tabor gets the gets an interview and would have had the opportunity to be giant special teams coordinator or somewhere else, he would have had a job. I get it. They'll get paid. They'll get paid for their contract. And that's all well and good. No one's saying that's an unfair part of the job. But these guys are coaches. You want to be in the league. If you're not in the league for a year, people want to know why are you not coaching in the league. And I think that's a big part here. So fast forward to Mike Kafka. We've been talking about, we mentioned Brian Callahan with Tennessee. He didn't call plays his entire time in Cincinnati and still got a head coaching job. Zach Taylor called the plays, the head coach. So from what I understand, it still has not been determined that Dable will call the plays offensively for the 2024 season. Could it happen? Sure. But there's a lot more that goes into offensive coordinator, coordinating, putting together the game plan, knowing the personnel, coaching, the stability aspect, the continuity aspect. Yeah, Brian Dable could have said, you know what, Mike Kafka, you can go. And we're just going to promote Shea Tierney to offensive coordinator and we'll bring in a, a quarterback's coach or we'll bring someone else up to be a quarterback's coach and move on. But the Giants value Mike Kafka. The fans may not off of last season. The Giants may not. Uh, the, the media might not. How could you? Look at the offense. Look at what they did. But obviously the Seahawks value in Mike Kafka. So if you're the Giants, you're looking at it and going, why are we going to let this guy go elsewhere, let him finish out his contract and be an asset here? And my understanding is that Mike Kafka is not kicking and screaming and upset 
and pissed off at Brian Dable and upset with the way things went. Was he upset? Is he upset that he's not getting to go to a new opportunity? Maybe. I haven't talked to Mike Kafka. I can't tell you he did. But you know what? It happens. I interviewed for the Jets beat writer job at the Jet at the record a long time ago, before I got the opportunity to cover the Giants. And I didn't get the Jets job. And I stayed and I covered high schools. And then I interviewed for the Mets job. And I didn't get the Mets job with the with the record. And yeah, I was upset. I felt like I was passed over. I felt like I deserved it. I felt like I did all the work that I needed to do. And I wanted that opportunity. And they weren't giving me that opportunity. But you know what? Things happen for a reason. I ended up getting the Giants gig. And I've had the Giants gig since the end of 2011. So that's the way things happen. It happens in all walks of life. It happens in the NFL. Sometimes it's not comparable. Sometimes it is. And I think in this instance, the giant, uh, Giants owe it to their players, and they owe it to what they're trying to continue to build here to keep Matt, Mike Kafka here as offensive coordinator. And from everything I've been told, Mike Kafka is not taking his ball and going home. He is going to do the job and... My gut kind of tells me that Mike Kafka still might be calling plays when 2024 rolls around. We'll have to wait and see. Not for anything, the Giants don't play on Sunday. The goal is to play again on Sunday. It's been a long time, and I've seen that sentiment from some fans, and I, I kind of tend to understand. We see a lot of the historical videos from Super Bowl 42, Super Bowl 46. It's a long time from those games now for the Giants. Uh, and they want to get back to being a consistent winner. They want to be in the playoffs every year. And I think Brian Dable and Joe Shane will get that opportunity to get this team back to where they need to be. We've got a lot of uh, off-season questions to answer. What do they do at quarterback? How do they restock this roster? All that stuff is coming. We've got the combine, the owners' meetings at the end of March. I'll be there. We'll be all in. But hope you enjoyed today's episode. We've been off for a little while, waiting for this to play out. Now that it's done, Shane Bowen, the new defensive coordinator of the Giants. And hopefully you got a lot of information on today's show that maybe you didn't get elsewhere from Tehran and Nick uh, and just my take on the whole situation. Appreciate you being all in. Thanks again to our producer, Paul Wood. And we'll be back very soon as news dictates for the Giants heading into draft season because that's what's up next.